are ending our series on Ephesians. Um, it's Ephesians 6 uh, today. But um, last week, I talked a bit about men uh, in relation to women particularly and the idea that Paul has for mutual submission that we all actually just putting each other first and that's um, what Christian community looks like. And I mentioned that I was going to talk a little bit more about men this week, uh, which I'm going to do. But I want to acknowledge again, for those of you who weren't here last week, uh, for about the first year of our life at church, after about a year of it, one of the people who'd been there from the beginning said to us, all you ever do is talk about women and the Holy Spirit. It's just women and the Holy Spirit. Women, 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 Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, which was a fair criticism. We talked quite a lot about women, and we always talk about the Holy Spirit. But I just want to acknowledge that if you're going, why is he talking about men? We do talk quite a lot about women. We'll probably start talking about women next week again and then for the rest of time too. And we will always definitely talk about the Holy Spirit. But I just wanted to acknowledge that. And also that this doesn't necessarily fit um, uh, completely with that the passage isn't really about men. Uh, but um, the passage is about things that I think men, particularly at the moment, in this moment in culture, are thinking a lot about, and therefore I want to talk about that. Is that all right? Good. Uh, so, there's a lot of um, rhetoric around at the moment about um, a crisis in masculinity. Now, I know some people will say, well, that's just rhetoric. It doesn't really exist. But the evidence doesn't point to that at all, actually. The evidence actually is uh, that incarceration, depression, suicide, drug addiction are a height that they've never been before and they increase amongst, uh, they are increasing amongst young men at the moment. And also, if you look at, um, say, the meteoric rise of uh, the popularity of someone like Jordan Peterson, just out of interest, who, who's heard of Jordan Peterson or knows what they've he says, okay, a few of them. This is a guy who's um, basically come to prominence. Um, he's an intellectual, and he's done the various YouTube interviews um, and talks. And um, people are finding him incredibly compelling for a number of reasons. I think um, his philosophy is sort of, I don't think he ever meant to appeal to men specifically, talking to the whole world. Uh, but men in particular have found the philosophy towards um, the idea that men need to take responsibility for their lives, voluntary responsibility, um, not to be countowed by unthoughtful, unthinking cultural norms, um, his attack on the kind of existence of this all-pervading tyrannical patriarchy, uh, his um, attack on some of the more extreme views of feminism, all of these things have meant people have gone, yeah, this is the guy I want to listen to. And that suggests that in finding a home in him, they didn't really have a home beforehand because they felt somewhat dislocated. And most tellingly, he says that um, he's received thousands of letters from uh, men in particular who've said, you have brought me back from the brink of self-destruction, actually. And that's very moving. I uh, quite like him. I didn't like him to start with. I don't really like him. Um, but I think all of this suggests that there is a sense amongst a lot of men they don't really know what it is to be a man in this culture. Now, the question of whether men have the right to voice this at this time, to my mind, is neither here nor there. The idea that we go, oh, wait a second, men, why do you get to go and make it about yourself again? Because, you know, you've had the whole of history to make it about yourself, and now let, you know, just shut up for a bit. 
I don't think that's particularly Christian. I don't think it's particularly helpful to anyone. If we actually believe that Jesus comes to bring to fullness to everyone, then he comes to bring fullness to men and women and everyone. As I said in my brilliant talk about mutual submission next week, last week, none of us need to feel threatened. None of us. In God's kingdom, there is more than enough room for male and female, black and white, rich and poor, every single person to be brought to the fullness of who they are. As Paul says, if one member of the body is suffering, then the whole thing suffers. Now, obviously, we do need to be careful about making any single cause the only thing that we ever talk about. And in general, I think we have a responsibility following Jesus to put those who have the least power first. And whatever anyone says, I find it very difficult to see that those with the least power are not single white men. However, men increasingly are saying they don't really know how to be men in this culture. Now, this is not a catch-all finishing being able to, um, oh dear, my brain just stopped working. It's not, we're just, this is the tip of the iceberg. Um, I can't cover everything, but I do want to say various things. So, let's consider um, some of the problems. Firstly, I think a lot of men are saying we have no role model. If you remember when Kanye um, went to, he's called Kanye, isn't he, not Kanye? <laughs> um, by the way, do you like my shoes? <laughs> These are my preacher sneakers. Uh, if you'd like to send them in to the account. Uh, they're vegan, my preacher sneakers. I didn't know that, and then I found out. Kanye um, said when he um, sort of did that thing with Donald Trump the other um, month ago, um, uh, it was amazing to have a male role model because he didn't have many male role models and he said it's, he's like a father to me. I don't know if you remember that. Um, we, we, we can snigger and obviously, um, uh, you know, people have their own thoughts, but it does suggest that men don't really have people that they can look up to and go, oh, that's what I want to be like. Allied to this, I think some men will report that the traditional ideals of being strong, assertive, aggressive, a provider, a protector, these sorts of things, actually these weigh incredibly heavily on them because they are ideals that they cannot attain to and they don't know how to be that person. And they're saying, do I have to be that thing? Do I have to be this atypical, sorry, alpha male um, archetypal sort of A-type person? Because I can't. Now, on the other side of things, and I think probably more prevalent, there are a lot of men saying, you are telling me that I can't be like that. Culture is telling me that I cannot be all these things, and I have to be something else. I have to be a bit more feminine, and my masculinity feels like it is being threatened. Can't I just be this aggressive type of man that I was always told that I could be until a few years ago? Now, the negative effects that all of that has on society, I think, are very obvious. In general, Men tend to overcompensate when their masculinity is threatened. In countless studies, women do not at all when their femininity is threatened. When women are told, you're a bit masculine, nothing happens at all. 
it's got something, I think, to do with when girls become women, it's seen very much as just a biological process by women. They've just become women, great. When boys become men, it is much more of a social issue. What type of man are you? Are you going to be able to compete with me? It is not so much a biological thing. So in, very, um, in quite a few studies, what has been shown is that when men are told they are more feminine, they then overcompensate hugely. They become far more um, interested in war. They become far more homophobic. They become far more keen to propagate hierarchies of dominance. And interestingly, and this is scientific fact, they become far more interested in buying an SUV. That is what happens. Now, none of that is good for anyone apart from maybe SUV salesmen. And if you are an SUV salesman, I would suggest this. When a man comes on your lot, go, oh, you're a bit girly. And then he will buy the biggest SUV on your lot. So the problem is complex. And treating it like a simple problem, which unfortunately I think lots of churches following our tradition have done, is not going to actually help in the greater scheme of things. It may help a small number of people in a small way, but it won't really help in a greater, um, more encompassing way. Because saying to men, oh, men just become more like men, just be more masculine, is not going to help. A few years ago, I was listening to a talk from a famous um, speaker here, and uh, he was sort of um, venting, ranting about men in the church and he was basically going you know the whole thing has become very female hasn't it the whole church experience is very female 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 and men just need to be more like the men of the bible you know they wouldn't be singing these girly love songs to god they would be like david they would be fixing their truck and shooting their guns that's what men are supposed to be like now obviously david strong warrior however he did write quite a lot of love songs to god there's a whole host of them in the psalms and he danced around naked like a little girl and he played the harp and he was all those sorts of things and lots of other things and the point being the point being as soon as we distill masculinity into one thing and femininity into another thing we miss the fact that it's much broader than that in god's kingdom in fact as Christians, what we want to say is that in Jesus, there is no male or female, there is no slave or free, there is no Jew or Greek, for all are one. In fact, in Jesus, what he does is he returns us to the status we were always supposed to have in Eden of male and female, yes, but in oneness, complete mutuality with each other and with their God. That's where we're heading. So as soon as we say masculinity is the problem, we've actually missed the problem. From a Christian perspective, what we want to say is the issues that men are definitely confronting right now in our culture are not about masculinity per se. They are about identity. They are not actually men saying, tell us how to be men, tell us how that we can be the men that we're supposed to be. They're saying, tell us how to be me. I do not know how to be me in this world. Won't someone tell me who I am? And we as Christians will go, oh, we've got the answer to that. His name is Jesus, and he will tell you exactly who you are as a person primarily.
And if we, and I know people are going, why are we talking about this? If we as a church are not able to have actual serious, helpful, powerful answers to the questions of our culture, and this really is a question of our culture, then what are we doing? What are we doing? Our faith must affect every single part of human life. And it must be the good news that Jesus says it is to every single part of human life. So that everyone can become the people that they were created to be. Good. Ephesians 6. This is how he ends. Verse 10. Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground, and after that you have done everything to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and the feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fiercely make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So, to recap, Paul has shown the ideals of the Christian life throughout the letter. The experiencing of all of God's riches and his grace. All the oneness of being a mature person. Unity and diversity in his community. Mutual submission. He's done all of this. This is what the glorious life of the Christian looks like because of Jesus. This is the ideal. And then right at the end of the letter, he comes back to earth with some startling and stark reality. We are in a battle. We have an enemy. Life is not easy. And this side of heaven, at times, things will be really difficult. You see, the New Testament, whilst being a book of heavenly, perfect ideals, won for us by a heavenly, perfect person so that we also become heavenly, perfect people, is also a book of real, hardcore life reality. It is not easy answers. It is not, oh, everything's going to be great now that you're a Christian. On the um, uh, preachers and sneakers, does everyone know this account? It's an Instagram account about various preachers and their sneakers and their clothes and how much they cost. It's a brilliant idea. I wish I'd thought of it. But on it, I was on it the other day, and I just I went into a sort of rabbit hole of um, looking at all these things. And one of the things I came across was a talk from one of these churches. And by the way, um, I've got various thoughts about it. In general, um, our problems, let's just focus on those. You know, we've got enough problems of our own, haven't we? Who cares? Honestly, 
who cares? I mean, I think it's good to expose sin where sin is. But honestly, look at ourselves. We're awful, aren't we? And we've got so many problems. Let's concentrate on ourselves and let whatever going on over there go on over there. Anyway, uh, having said that, I watched this talk. <laughs> I watched this talk, and it was this huge kind of um, para, um, pyrotechnic sort of thing. And it was um, this huge church. And it was like 2019, 2019, it was at the beginning of 2009, 2019, this is going to be the greatest year for you ever. And I thought, is it? So far it's been okay for me, all right, but who is to say that it's not going to be the worst year? I don't want it to be the worst year. Jesus does not want it to be the worst year. But terrible things happen. And Paul says that straight up. This life is hard. Because of Jesus, it won't stay hard. Because of Jesus, things can be okay. But it's not always going to be rosy. And this year will not necessarily be the greatest of all years. I don't want to depress anyone. I don't want us to become cynical. But also, I don't want us to become so um, obsessed with the idea that this is going to be my best year ever that we miss the fact that actually God is doing other things. And this is one of the things I really like about Jordan Peterson. He says, let us look straight in the face of the darkness of our experience. Let us not ignore it and pretend it's not there. And this is what Paul's saying is, number one, take responsibility. Put on the armor, take your stand, stand your ground, stand firm, take responsibility. Stand up, acknowledge all that is going on, and stand firm. Men and women, let us all do this. We um, are currently, well, we've relaunched our website. But we're going to do an FAQ on the website, and we're trying to think of things that people ask on FAQs. And one of the ones I've come up with is, um, if I go to your church, will I be more successful, happier, um, uh, richer, and uh, more famous? And the answer is no. So that's helpful. Uh, not necessarily. Let us take responsibility for our lives. Let us stand up and acknowledge that we're in a battle. But, and more importantly, too, do not do this by yourself. Do you know that 80% um, of um, self-help purchases are repeat purchases? Which suggests that while self-help is great, it's not really doing everything that everyone needs it to do. Because they keep on buying them over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And Paul knows this well. Yes, take responsibility. Yes, make a stand. But not before or without 
or without ongoingly and ongoingly and ongoingly having been and continuing to be empowered. As I said uh, last week, the imperative before all other imperatives in the New Testament is this, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is, one, an imperative. It is a command. Everyone must be filled with the Holy Spirit. You don't get to know, oh, I'm just, you know, he's, I'm, not, I'm not into him. Like Father and Son, Holy Spirit, no thank you. Be filled with the Holy Spirit is an imperative. It's plural for everyone. It is also uh, an ongoing, continuous experience. Uh, the, the Greek is like, be filled and go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And most importantly, it is passive. It happens to you. And exactly the same thought is here, right at the beginning. Finally, Paul says, verse 10, be strong. A better translation would be, be empowered. Open yourself to being filled. And really, again, this is the imperative before all other imperatives. Before you stand, before you take up the armor, before you do all these things, be filled with the Holy Spirit because we need his power. Why? Because we're in a spiritual battle. And when we were moving here, before we moved here, and we did a few kind of reckeys from London to check out LA. And um, the first one I came by myself. And I was very excited because we were gonna, I was going to be flying on those double, one of those double-decker Airbuses, A380. Very exciting. I was on the top deck. It was going to be fun. Uh, and um, I got to the airport, and there was a huge delay. Leona Lewis was on my flight, which is exciting for me. Uh, and um, you have no idea who she is, do you? No, anyway. Um, but we were, we were sitting there, and then um, there was a long delay, and we finally got on the plane, and we were, we'd been sitting on the tarmac for about two hours. And then um, the captain said, I'm very sorry to inform you, everyone, uh, but uh, there's been a bit of a delay with the thing. We found a hole in the fuselage, and... Uh, what? <laughs> we found a hole in the fuselage, and we're just trying to fix it now. What? No, no, we don't do that. Anyway, this went on for a long time, and then about 45 minutes later, he said, well, we found the hole, and we thought we could just put some uh, duct tape over it. Uh, what? This is like a huge plane. I'm not flying in this thing. And then he said, um, but we found that actually it goes through a few more layers, this hole of the fuselage, it goes quite deep into the thing. So we're taking some panels off, and we've sent them to um, Airbus in, uh, in France, and they're gonna have a look at them. How, what? Uh, and then this carried on for a bit, he says, yes, the, the hole's very deep, so we're gonna have to disembark, we're gonna have fun, but the great thing is we found another plane, we're gonna, another plane, anyway. This goes on, and I'm getting more and more tired, and the crew are saying, we've got 10 minutes until we will not be able to fly on this flight because of various things, blah, blah, blah. I'm going, I have to go here, I'm meeting various people, I have to go. Finally, we get on, um, there's another massive delay, but we get into the air, and it is now, it was supposed to be a five o'clock flight, it's now like a nine o'clock flight in the evening, and it's nighttime, and everyone wants to sleep apart from the person next to me, who has already tried to get himself upgraded by, he said, I'm too big for this seat, he was about five foot two. And I'm like, you know, I am, I'm too big for this seat, you are not. And then he said, so he's already caused a kerfuffle. And then he decides to play music to soothe his wife to sleep. 
in this cabin while all the um, stewards and stewardesses have gone off and he's just playing this music and it goes like this. I have no idea what the music was, but he's just playing it. And I said, would you mind just turning that thing off because I've got to get some sleep. I'm very tired, this is very annoying. He said, well, if I don't play it, my wife won't sleep. If you do play it, everyone else does not sleep. And he's doing this for a long time. And then anyway, horrible flight. I am feeling like, I don't know why all this is happening, but this is not good. I get to the um, car rental place, and uh, there's no one there. There's just no one in the car rental place, because it's three in the morning. And I'm just going, well, I've got to pick. I'm in LAX, and three in the morning. I haven't slept all night. I need to get a car, but there's no one there even to be annoyed at. And then finally, someone turns up, and then she goes, oh. We haven't got any cars. What do you mean you haven't got any cars? And then they put, so they sent me to another rental place that had a huge line. There were lots of people there, and I spent another. So I finally got my car at five in the morning. Uh, and I was meeting, my, my first meeting was nine in the next morning. This is, but I'm driving to the thing, and I'm going down, I can't remember what it is, where, where you go down like Palisades where you hit um, the PCH. It's like a big, is it Sunset Canyon? Maybe something like that. Uh, and the brakes fail on my car. And I'm just careering down and literally just have to wait until the momentum comes to a halt, turning the corner at a very fast speed. And then I'm just stuck. And I phone the rental people and said, my car's brake brakes have not worked. He said, well, just bring it back and we'll give you a new one. Now, I'm not one to over-spiritualize things. But that's the devil. I actually mean it, because we're in a battle, and he doesn't want this church. He doesn't want any of you to be here. He doesn't want any of you to experience the power of Jesus. He doesn't want Hannah and I to be here. He doesn't want any of this to happen at all. He wants to use preacher sneakers to destroy as much as he could possibly destroy for everyone, which is not to let anyone off the hook, but that's what he wants to do. He wants you to think it's all on yourself. He wants you to think that actually uh, we're not in a battle at all. Oh, spiritual evil, that doesn't exist. Come on, we've got rational thought and we've got light bulbs. That can't be the case. The only people I find who have a problem with the existence of spiritual evil are Christians. Everyone else is completely on board with the fact that it exists all the time. Christians are a bit, oh no, we can't talk about that because, you know, people will think we're silly. They don't think you're silly. They think, yeah, spiritual evil exists. And that's the battle. This week, it's just been horrible for me. I've been ill. I've been stressed. Lots of things have gone wrong. We almost couldn't rent this this week um, for various reasons out of our control. Um, again, we don't need to spiritualize anything, or everything, rather. And I would strongly suggest that you never, ever pick up a book that has the devil or demons in the title. Just leave it alone. You know, that, we don't need to be obsessed at all. And we also need to take responsibility for when we have just caused problems for ourselves, which will be all the time to some degree. 
But then there are also things where the devil just wants us to not be the people he's created us to be, and particularly to not do the things that he wants us to do. And this is where I want to end. The armor that Paul talks about is really shorthand for saying, put on Jesus. The references to Isaiah, where and the prophet Isaiah hearing from God is going, who is going to save these people? No one. There is no one to save these people. Not one. But yet there is one who will have as his breastplate righteousness and as his helmet salvation. And he will come and do it for everyone. And so when Paul is saying this, he's saying, remember and put on Jesus. Jesus Christ, your Savior, your living God. The belt of truth is truth because the gospel is true. I find it startling how many Christians don't actually know whether they believe it. That's okay if you don't believe it. But it's very important as just a starting point for faith to believe it. If you don't believe it, work out why you don't believe it. See if you can believe it and then believe it. But if you don't believe it, fine. Leave it alone. Go and play golf. You'll have more fun. But if you do want to actually take this seriously, believe it. It is true and therefore it works. It is not a case of if it works, it might be true. It must be true and if it stops working, it can't be. It is true. It is true and therefore it works. So whatever you're feeling actually is a bit by the by. It's true. So put it on. The breastplate of righteousness. This is not about whether you feel righteous right now. It's not about whether you'll feel a bit more righteous later. The breastplate of righteousness is the righteousness that Jesus has bought for you at a price, and it is yours, whether you feel it or not. We cannot trust our feelings. And you will know this if you've ever bumped into an old flame who you are totally in love with and then gone, oh my goodness, what was I thinking? There is a theory, the looking glass self, that we become the people that the most important person in our lives thinks we are. If the most important person in your life is someone who has only ever told you that you're not good enough, that you're worthless, that you're not righteous, that you should try harder, that what you're doing with your life that's what you will become. If the most important person in your life is yourself, and you have those thoughts about yourself, that's what you will become. If the most important person in your life is Jesus, the Son of the living God, who says to each and every one of you, you are righteous not because of anything you've done, you will become what he thinks of you. The shield of faith. Faith is not something that we work up. I'm going to be really faithful. I'm going to really try today. Faith 
is something that comes as we use it in response to what we believe about God. We all have faith. We all use it all of the time. Put your faith in the only thing that will actually never let you down, Jesus. And as you do that, your faith will grow. If you want more faith for praying for people for healing, pray for people for healing. If you want more faith for actually the Holy Spirit being poured out onto you, open yourself to the Holy Spirit being poured out onto you. As it happens, you go, oh, look, it does happen, and then you carry on. Uh, If you pray for people and they get healed, guess what happens to your faith? It goes through the roof, and then you go, oh, it might be a bit easier to pray for someone for healing the next time because I've seen it happen before. Now, not everyone gets healed. That's um, completely obvious from the pages of the Bible. Nevertheless, when people get healed, it means it's worth praying for people getting healed. Helmet of salvation, again, a conviction about what Jesus has done. He saved you. It's done. And then two other things which I'll end with. The sword of the Spirit. This is the only offensive weapon. If you look at all of those, these are defensive weapons, shielding us from the things that are going to come our way. The only offensive one is the sword of the Spirit, which he is at pains to say is the Word of God. The Word there means Jesus. It does not mean the whole of the Bible. Obviously, the whole of the Bible is very important, but what he's talking about here is the gospel of Jesus. This is our only form of attack. Do not get involved in prayer meetings where we are binding things and loosing things, a complete and utter misunderstanding of the passage. Do not ever engage um, with demonic things or devil things or anything like that. Just do what Paul says. Take up the sword of the Spirit, the gospel of Jesus, and proclaim it loud and wide to everyone. It's our only form of attack. Similarly, shoes fitted with the readiness of the gospel. That is, believing the gospel ourselves and bringing it. It's beauty and it's love and it's goodness. Blessed is he who comes with uh, the gospel of Jesus. Is the wrong quote. They are beautiful, the feet. That's it. Beautiful, the feet. It is a beautiful message. And it is our only attack. So we are not empire building. We are not, um, uh, you know, going to um, save people by killing them. All of that, totally unchristian. What we do have is the gospel. So let us take it seriously. Back to men and women. Really, I would say that for a very long time, women have really, um, for lots of reasons, which we won't go into, have, have not had opportunity. Now, I would say, if anything, all opportunities are so open, it's becoming a little bit scary because I want to do it all. And whatever anyone says, you can't. I say this to everyone, not just women. We can't have it all. What we can have, though, is what Jesus has given us, us specifically, uniquely, our call in life. For men, having been able to do whatever the hell we like, really, for most of life, now we're going, oh, wait a second, I don't know how to be me. And what Jesus says to every single one of us is, you have a purpose, a specific purpose for the kingdom and for who you are. And I want to give it to you. I'm the only one who can give it to you. I'm the only one who knows you well enough to know the sort of shape you have been made into. And I want to bring that all to life. That's what he says to each one of us. So we all have a purpose. And we all have a role model. And his name is Jesus. Let us look to him and not anyone else.